Run them jewels fast, run them, run them jewels fast, run them, 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 fuck the slow mo. Fascist slave, you protested to get in a fucking look book. Everything I scribbles like the anarchist book book. This is British Wrestling Spotlight on the Indicorner.com. I'm Benno. And I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And after last month, where we had kind of the WrestleMania tour podcast with uh, me on one side and you two guys <laughs> on the other side while I was sunning myself in Turkey. Thanks for that, guys. I appreciate it. And we're back with a full show with all three of us here. How are you guys? How, how have you been since the, uh, the last recording? Uh, all good, yeah. Tired, work as usual, but you know, all right. All good, yeah. Back, uh, back to a few shows. We've, you know, been to a few and we've all managed to meet up in that time and we've all got some good shows coming up so yeah all good at the minute good stuff nobody fancied the uh raw and smackdown tapings that are happening in our fair country as absolutely we not i got offered a free <laughs> ticket for raw tonight did you really? yeah. yeah i would take that <laughs> well i've got to take some off work rearrange stuff at work drive to manchester then drive back they come back into work the next day absolutely not i've been to one raw tape in this country and I've d- i think it might be the worst show i've ever been to <laughs> never again I, honestly unless they do like a takeover here or a big pay-per-view mm. where i know what the card is in advance i would never even consider going to a wwe show in this country again i don't think yeah, I had a few people ask me. They always because they, you know, you, when you host a couple of wrestling podcasts, and people kind of you know as the as the rest their wrestling friends, like my real life friends who have kind of seen that. Oh yeah, there's a there's WWE going on. Surely you're going and trying to explain to them. No, that's not the type of wrestling that I go to. Yeah. I'm a proper. I mean, I've been to, I go to WWE house shows. I've been to them in the past. They can be a laugh. They can be a bit detached is kind of the thing as well yeah. i've done a smackdown taping but i've never actually done a raw so i am i am intrigued i've done a few tapings and a few house shows in the u.s and to be honest i've i've not been to a bad one i don't think mm-hmm. um but the one here that i went to oh my god uh, the o2 i just think is a terrible venue for starters um i could ra- i could do a whole podcast ranting about what crap venue the o2 is but <laughs> i don't think that'd be very interesting <laughs> Right, well, uh, we'll get straight into it then. Uh, as we always do, we start the show with what we've been watching since the last time we recorded. Both of you guys, as you alluded to, JP, you've been mm-hmm. to a, a couple of shows uh, over the past few weeks. Yep. Uh, where have you been and how was it? Well, the first show we went to was actually the first time I'd been to an Attack Pro show. Uh, and me and Joe went along to it, um, to the Frog and Fiddle in Cheltenham, which is a really nice pub, by the way. I have to say, um, really enjoyable. Yeah, I went for the first Attack Pro. I think, Joe, you'd been to the Fight... Or was it Attack... Attack Club Pro show, the joint show of Fight Club Pro I'd been to. Yeah. So this felt like the first time it was the kind of authentic <coughs> Attack Pro experience. Mm. And it was um, it was really good fun. It was kind of what I'd imagine it would be. There was enough wonderful wackiness, sort of very DDT-ish. Um, whilst at the same time, some... Nothing really spectacular, but um, lots of really good matches. Probably sort of um, the high watermark would have been the Mike Bailey, Mike uh, Mike Bird match. Yeah, that was great. That was really good. Yeah, and that was really good fun. Um, and it was a really, it's a really interesting venue because it's really small. Uh, One hundred and twenty people fits inside, and incredibly, it's like a, a sort of what would be like a, a gig room out the back really low ceilings 
So they were trying to do stuff off the top rope, and you're thinking, he's going to lamp his head against that against that beam. It looked like quite scary for that, but um, yeah, overall, really, really good fun and some yeah, some really interesting sort of notes to come out of it. Yeah, it was a relief that no one did lamp their head against any beams that night. I've got to say because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was worrying at certain points of it. The Bailey Bird match, I would definitely recommend though. Yes. Um, it was Mike Bailey had a great time, I think, while he was over in the UK recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, the match with Ryan Smile in Rev Pro a couple of days later, which me and JP were also there for, and the Mike Bird match were absolute highlights. Two really quite different matches in many ways against mm-hmm. different different guys, but really good matches. Like Speed, I wish Speedball would just come and base himself over here, to be honest, because he's got so much to give and he's such an exciting wrestler. Mm-hmm. And he you worked his arse off. Say it again. He can't get into America, so yeah. exactly makes sense, doesn't it? I know he does DDT, um, and I'm assuming he does like Smash and some of the Canadian promotions. But if he was to get a visa, a working visa for a couple of years, like El Fantasma or someone, mm. and come and base himself over here for a couple of years, I think you'd see him getting regular work and all the major promotions and being a, a, a majorly featured guy. To be honest, because he's he's definitely got something about him. He's so likable. He's got a lot of like quite unique charisma in. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of different ways of many guys and he almost reminds me of like a video game character in the way that he wrestles like when I'm watching him I just think of like a couple of characters from Tekken and Street Fighter yes and there seems to be like an influence from sort of like I don't know martial arts but also video game style martial arts in his offense and in his whole approach which is all right with me because I'm a massive Tekken fan <laughs> yeah I think I really like I mean I didn't see all of the VOD from that Rev Pro tour. It was kind of a weird little uh, tour as they build up to. Yeah. Obviously, we've got the big global wars coming on. Uh, the shows weren't exactly the highest production that Rev Pro have given. And I, I sought out that <coughs> Ryan Smile at Speedball Mike Bailey match mainly because of how highly you guys recommended it. And we'd I'd heard a lot about it online as well. But Bailey is just, he's so good. It's just, there's something about, like, the match with Ryan Smile, for example, where he's hitting. He's, his offense is so realistic he's hitting real kicks and it was kind of there's a juxtaposition there with smile coming back with i suppose typical wrestler offense uh in a way but it kind of brought out a a passion and a just something about smile that i've not seen in many of other his yeah. matches it just felt it felt like a like a real fight and he got dragged into to speedball's kind of match i mean that guardrail spot as well looked absolutely amazing on the vod i mean how was it live oh god yeah that was that was brutal yeah it really was as a right by we were wasn't it live it was amazing it was probably the we went to both uh the attack show and then the live in leamington rev pro show that weekend and for me it was the match of the weekend the two speedball matches were the two best matches that i saw that weekend and i put the ryan smile match ahead of it sort of just um there was an intensity from smile that i've never seen uh and he seemed to sort of be really keeping up with Bailey as well, which I was impressed with. Mm. Like, I think Ryan Smile has quite an inflated idea of, you know, his ability at times. And I've never seen him deliver that often to the level um, that I think he kind of rates himself at personally. Um, maybe being a bit harsh on him. Uh, but this was the first time that I've kind of seen him live up to that, those kind of lofty expectations and that lofty opinion that he kind of has of himself as a worker. Um, and I thought he was absolutely amazing in the match. Um, like you said, Benno, 
I think that Bailey's style brought something out of him that was a little bit different. There was a little bit more consistency to the way he was working as well in this one. And I hope that he goes on from here and actually sort of has a little bit more self-confidence because at times I do think there's a little bit of bravado with his performance and there's actually not that much confidence in the way that he, he does sort of perform in a match like he can do the moves his movement's pretty good but sometimes telling a story and actually engaging a crowd I find it he finds quite tough so I'm hoping this is kind of a start for him to go on and actually fulfill his potential because I think this year they were looking for a big year with him and year for him in Rev Pro he seemed to me like he was kind of a natural replacement for Osprey in a way and I don't think he's fulfilled those expectations by any means so I'm hoping he can kind of kick on from here really mm-hmm. any other highlights from those that Rev Pro weekend um, yeah, there were some decent matches uh, across the whole card, to be honest with you. I loved Curtis Chapman and Chris Brooks. I thought, I thought it was awesome. It was the opener on the night. It was kind of the perfect opener. It was a good, fast-paced match, sort of underdog versus more experienced veteran-type wrestler. Curtis Chapman really taking it to Chris Brooks. One thing I'll say about Curtis Chapman as well is his offense has really improved this year. Some of his strikes, I was really impressed with. He was really laying it in. He shows really good fire now. Yeah, he does. He's got a lot of fire. It's a yeah. natural kind of babyface charisma as well. Yeah. Chris Brooks was giving him a lot. He was giving him a massive amount. And it kind of worked for him as well. But when Chris Brooks went on offense, he would just absolutely kill Curtis Chapman, mm. throw him into the guardrails at points. He was just absolutely beating on him and sort of really sort of taking advantage of him in a way. But as a match, it was very sim- it was structured very simply. Mm. Um, clear face, heel divide, worked really well, I think. I, I've been really impressed with Curtis Chapman this year. I know he's only been wrestling for a couple of years, but yeah, as far as teenagers wrestling currently go, he's got to be the best one out there, if you ask me. Well, he's, he's certainly up there as well. And the other thing as well is it's kind of a, like a nice step of Brooks working more as a singles performer again. And one of the better Brooks singles matches I've seen. And not really one that I went in with kind of any high expectations. Um, in terms of other thoughts from the card as well, it's an interesting venue. And just to sort of go on to the kind of business side of it, because, Benno, did you see the Cardiff show? I saw the Portsmouth show, the Monday Night Mayhem show. Oh, I've show. not yes. seen that yet. Was it any good? Uh, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> it was just it did. It's not. There's nothing must watch. Wash, must watch about it. The main thing is the fact that Mustache Mountain won the the tag belts. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of the big story coming out, and that was a a decent main event with Chris Brooks and Travis Banks. But yeah, it was kind of non plus on the show as, as a whole. It, it did feel like a bit of a I don't know, just not a very important show for Rev Pro. And it was. It's one of those touring Rev Pro Portsmouth shows, isn't it? It wasn't. It's not like it's a cockpit show or it's a big York Hall mm. show. So you go in with ten expectations it's so the half term enjoy it. the half term get the kids in show those uh pompey shows usually yeah exactly exactly um yeah from that i think uh el fantasma and rob lias had an all right match again talk about a mike bailey and josh bodham had a really good match on there yeah. as well both continues to impress as well but i'd probably say yeah from what i've seen of rev pro in that little run it's the it's the speedball mike bailey stuff to to seek out and especially that that ryan smile match yeah, I think it's, it's interesting to say um, the Levington show, in terms of the way that it was set up and the, the venue they've got, it's almost like they're looking for kind of other venues that are kind of similar to the cockpit, but not based in London, where they can get in a crowd of, of really under 200 um, to kind of spread it out. And it, and it kind of worked for that. I mean, there was stars on it, but it, it wasn't 
particularly kind of star laden. It's interesting, like Rev Pro's kind of base level without um, like major stars in their major markets. It's kind of weird because you imagine if Progress went to Leamington's an odd town to go to for stars, I think. But like the Cardiff show seemed to do quite poor numbers. You think if Progress turned up in one of those towns, you know that they draw and you know that they draw quite sort of healthily as well. Uh, cockpit shows do what 150 to 200 people when Fight Club Pro run Bush Hall I know it's not as regular but London venue they fill the place with about 300 350 people Mm. so it is interesting sort of thinking about Rev Pro's perception outside of their kind of super shows really because I think there were about sort of 150 ish people at the Leamington show and it it seemed like an alright kind of attempt like there was Enough people there to make it a decent show. It wasn't dead or anything. Yeah. And it was but nice the, to be a fan of that show. There was lots of space and you yeah, could move yeah. around. It didn't feel... But at the same time, there were lots of empty spaces. There was lots yeah. of space. And it's interesting that when they go on tour, they don't necessarily have that same buzz that someone else coming to the town might have. I don't know what you guys both think about this. And it's funny because we started off talking about Attack and we're talking about Rev Pro. It's interesting that obviously Rev Pro for all of the kind of the dream match factory that, that they have available to be able to have because with access to Ring of Honor and New Japan <coughs> and even possibly CMLL talent, um, Attack has that really defined identity of who mm. they are and what the show is going to be like, and that really is the draw overall. And you get that impression when you go in, go into there. With Rev Pro, it's still that case of trying to find the identity outside of we do dream matches and so on these lower level cards it's very hard to kind of know what you're going to get and what you're going to expect because it all kind of feels to a certain degree like there's there are some storylines going on but you have to be really following all of the cockpit shows for it and it's those kind of long drawn out storylines like we say about Curtis Chapman and the development of his character and the same thing with Rob Lias and Dan McGee and and now there's going to be in January there's going to be a women's tournament um, for the first Rev Pro Women's Champion and so I imagine there's going to be some storylines progressing for that. But at the same time, there is a kind of stasis Mm. at a show like this, like it felt like it was a good half-term wrestling show. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of what it was. Yeah, and they seem to want a mix of kids and kind of hardcores at these shows as well. And like I was saying, maybe it's this, yeah, it's an identity issue. Maybe kids and hardcores isn't, maybe the audience to grow the brand maybe Mm. they do need to hone in on those hardcores a little bit more because there are more of them that have more money and are maybe more willing to spend money on the Mm. product but then do they miss out on a vital revenue stream in those Portsmouth shows that usually draw sort of 500-ish people always do a good crowd there Mm. and they always get new eyeballs sorry new eyeballs as well people might not be in the bubble yeah 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 it's a so it's a tough one. It's a tough one going forward as well. And I think it's something they definitely need a little bit of work on in a way. Yeah. Fair um, enough. Yeah. And um, before we move on then, any last thoughts on the attack show or all? We didn't get much of a chance to talk about that. Is there any anything that stuck out to you, JP, from that? Uh, yeah, I would like to say there was um the four way match. And again it was kind of watching the the, the kind of progression. Um Elijah, I thought there was a there was a four way between Elijah, Wild Boar, um, Eddie Dennis and Ryan Smile and I thought it was it was really good um just having seen Elijah before and 
sort of thinking he's he's fine, but you know there, there were obviously kind of some clear limitations. I thought he looked really good, and there was kind of a nice mixture between those four there. Eddie Dennis again, kind of you know really kind of coming on a bit, and then there were hints at the Rev Pro. Sorry to go back onto Rev Pro again that the. That the heel turn that took place at Progress is something that feels like is going to be repeated again with with Eddie Dennis in Rev Pro and the losing streak. That this is the direction it's going in. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed the um, the four way. Uh, also, as well, um, enjoyed the the tag three way. Uh, I, f- I thought it was all right. Um, I like the Hunter Brothers Brothers of Obstruction yes. gimmick. I love that. That's possibly my favourite gimmick in a British wrestling right now, I've got to say. Mm. Um, But at the same time, I thought the venue was a little bit cramped, if I'm honest. Um, It sounds... Oh, God, I'm going to get abuse for saying this. As much as this venue gets a lot of positive talk, I actually found it quite cramped, a little bit uncomfortable at points. Yeah. Um, I felt a bit too squeezy. I sound like an old man, I know. Um, and there wasn't a lot of room during, say, multi-man matches that like spilled outside the ring. Mm. Um, and I thought it kind of affected the three-way main event, but which just felt like a bit of a mess at points. It was by no means bad, and they kind of achieved what they needed to achieve with the screw job title change or the rest of it. Um, but while the show was fun, I don't know. I didn't. I don't think I love the venue as much as JP loved the venue, personally. I I find those things kind of more of a novelty than anything else, venues like that. But yeah, apart from the fact that those beams kind of restrict a lot of stuff off the top rope. I'd avoid that stuff like what? the plague. <laughs> well, I mean, just hearing you guys talk about venues and mm. complaining about Rev Pro. I mean, <laughs> you guys got to go see Rev Pro. You got to go see Attack. For my what I've been watching, I got to see... <laughs> EPW American Wrestling at Bootle Leisure Center. Cool. <laughs> let me tell you, Bootle Leisure Center, it's a place. It, I, I, I grew up not too far from there. The, the North Park is kind of where it is. It's a it's an area of Bootle in Merseyside. It's pretty rough. Um, it's usually surrounded by police matrix vans and teenagers with cat wigs. And it's just, it's not a nice place to be. <laughs> For the strangest reason, and I could not believe it when I first saw the card, Sabu was announced to be what wrestling from that venue. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the card. It was. I think it, it popped up on Facebook. One of the. I don't know. Have you guys seen any of these shows that this company runs? EPW American Wrestling. They do no. seem to get around the country quite a bit. I don't know. Are they linked in with that Welsh wrestling promotion at all? Because there was a show near where we work in Whitney. Mm-hmm. Oh, it yeah. sounds like yeah. that kind of a vibe to it. Yeah, I'm not too sure, but it it was it's very very carny. I mean, when I saw Sabu's name there, I mean that's an ECW legend. I had to go out and see him, especially yeah. at Bootle Leisure, Leisure Centre. Of course, you have, mate. Of course, it's, yeah, five minutes away from home. I, I made the decision as well as it was a very. I mean, we talked about Rev Pro potentially, you know, running family friendly venues. This was the most family friendly of shows. I made sure I went with my mate who's, who had a who's got an eight year old son, just so I could blend in a bit more. And it wasn't just I wasn't just one <laughs> creepy guy at the back cheering for Sabu. Uh, I feel like that made it a little bit better, but. Yeah, if you told me some of the matches were CRB check on a pole, I might have believed it was. <laughs> it was <laughs> did they announce him as the homicidal, suicidal, um, genocidal. genocidal Sabu in front they of did. kids? Amazing. They really did. And I mean, 
there were decent. I mean, this essentially it's a six-man roster. The opening match had a, a a guy in a super dragon mask, which I was made up with when he came out. I mean, it could have been the man himself. Uh, we were wrestling Alex Bauer, who actually looked quite good. Uh, he worked as the heel in the opening match, but the the second match had this guy coming out who looked really sweaty. And he looked like he'd already wrestled a match, <laughs> and he was at the same build as Super Dragon. But he had, I had not seen him before. Davy Blaine was his, was his name, apparently not the magician. Just some bloke called David Lee. <laughs> I mean, Alex Bauer himself, who again would say, I would say, will be the standout on the card, was there later on working his pyro, which is his mass gimmick as well. It, it was just one of those. I was trying to explain to a mate who I took with me. He was, he was going, So, is this, the, is this the kind of wrestling you usually go to, Ben? Oh, I think, <laughs> no. It's quite different. It's very, I mean, I wouldn't use the word to put it down, but it is very panto, which is a skill in itself. Yep. It's a style of wrestling where, you know, there's a, there was a heel there, Big Bubba D, who was really good at just shouting at the kids and them he shouting. He looks awesome. To mm. shut up, yeah. He was very uh, Bray Wyatt um, inspired, I would say. Uh, but he, he was he was a good heel for the for the scenario, and all the baby faces are very happy, clappy baby faces. And Tokyo Joe, not the not the Canadian, not the one who, who died recently, who's been in the, the news. Um, there's another mm. Tokyo Joe apparently uh, in EPW. Uh, wears this this mask and comes out with a Singapore cane, and <laughs> yeah, I believe he's the promoter. Um, I'm not too sure, and. There was a guy on the show, Tiny Iron, who's the who's absolutely mad. I mean, if you've not, if you go on my Twitter and search the hashtag Sabootle, which is what we name this show, <laughs> um, you'll see some pictures of Tiny Iron. He was, he was, he looked gigantic. He, He's going to be in WWE. He was terrible. He was absolutely awful. Uh, but he had a bit of charisma about him. He looked very. He was just a big guy in like army gear. Um, he kind of looked like he'd fit in with the No Limit Soldiers in uh, in WCW. <laughs> was he or, was he American? No, we, I think he's English, but he, he did have a bit of an American twang to his <laughs> yeah. accent. Is... He, he just looked like he'd be an American guy. I don't know, I know that's me being very stereotypical, but yeah. He came out to Mob Deep Shook once, so he's oh, got nice. the music as well. Nice. Uh, I mean, but the whole show, yeah, it was kind of like it built around, it was built around Sabu. But I would say there were less than 100 people there in this brutal leisure centre. I'm sat on a chair, which is on top of a badminton court that I've played badminton at and played football at, awesome. which is just so weird. I love <laughs> the fact the five Asai girls were still set up in the venue as well. Oh, course, they, yeah. didn't, they didn't put them down. I was like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Well, they had that. They had the, they had the raffle. They had masks on sale. They had foam fingers. It was proper Brit res. But it was. It was less than 100 people, a lot of parents, a lot of kids. So they were all well up for all you know the, the cheer in the faces and booing heels and then sabu comes out and you asked if he was announced he was announced with it with the usual sabu announcement he came out with the sabu music um but he came out just launching chairs launching tables amazing pulling out thumbtacks <laughs> getting new, get new jack this. over next honestly <laughs> it was a kid-friendly show but sabu did not give a fuck sabu just came out and worked sabu's match Paid no attention to the crowd whatsoever. Didn't care whether anyone was cheering or booing. He was going to do his spots. He was going to throw his chairs. And that's literally what he did. And it was just so surreal being sat there watching Sabu in the, in the local leisure <laughs> centre run through his spots. It was just, it was something else. And it was, uh, again, it, it's harmless fun. It's, uh, it's, it was a four match card. It was, oh, it wow. was for the kids. Yeah. I mean, it, it was. Uh, fun angles in the middle 
you know, yeah, even going out on intermission, we went outside and one of the heels, I think Big Bubba D was having a smoke outside. It was just, it was proper. It was, it was that, that is the kind of Brit res that we all grew up with before we had this uh, boom period. And yeah, I, I don't know if I should say long may it continue, but hey, it's, it, it's its own set of skills, isn't it? To work a, a family crowd like that and to, to do a show like that. Not that Sabu really gave a fuck. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll never forget Sabu poking his head out <laughs> of the, the girls changing rooms and Bootle Ledger Center. Nice. As I walked in, I never <laughs> thought in uh, in 1996 I, w- I would ever see that side. So has Sabu been touring the country with this EP- EPW? Yeah, I think he's been over a bit of the show for him. It was really him, not just another guy under the mask. Uh, they, they do get names over, um, but I think Sabu did uh, Lucha Forever, didn't he? Uh, yeah, because he's been over for a while, hasn't he? I saw a picture of him probably a, over a month ago eating a cod and chips, and thought, oh, okay. I think he's been <laughs> over here since then, hasn't he? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've, I've no, I'm, I'm just kind of surprised his hair grew back. It's the last time I think. Yeah, I've seen I, yeah, I was as well. I was like, we did that well at his Perhaps age. he's glued it on. Oh, that wouldn't be, <laughs> that wouldn't be surprising. Did he have someone dress up as a genie? Yeah, that's with his him. manager. I can't remember her name. She, I think she's his partner. I think she kind of goes around with him. And I assume that well. that was probably the case. But I was just mm. like, that's that's not quite Bill Alfonso. No. <laughs> <laughs> she, she had some good chair-slinging skills as well. So oh, did I, she? I'll, I'll give her credit there. And she didn't have a whistle, so that was all right. That's it. I mean, it was just, yeah, she's slinging chairs the Sabu. Kids are running away. Parents are shielding the kids' eyes. It was it was something to behold. So, yeah, definitely... I might petition EPW to get New Jack over. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do that? New Jack to bootle. New Jack versus Tokyo Joe. Someone bootle. I was going to say, is there any chance of New Jack versus Vic Grimes in bootle? I'll take it. Is Vic Grimes still alive? I know. He tried to kill him before, didn't he? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> well, murder and bootle is probably a regular occurrence. In a so better. here we go. Oh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Talk stuff. Uh, speaking of murder, Wolverhampton. Uh, like, <laughs> oh. One show we did all get to, um, yes. and we won't do a full review as we've covered Cycle Pro in quite a bit of length, and we're going to leave some time for us to do our main progress review at the end of the show. But yeah, we all got to Fight Club Pro, their, their Day of the Dead show as well, since we last recorded their mm-hmm. Halloween theme show, or as Jimmy Havoc called it, Goth Christmas. <laughs> uh, it's become so we've become something of uh, regulars at Fight Club Pro shows now, haven't we? And it's it's always worth the trip. I saw um, Brit Resaway Days Ben on Twitter refer to Fight Club Pro. It's kind of our it's our PWG now. It's become kind of our super indie, but maybe with a bit more heart. Um, but yeah, uh, big into Fight Club Pro at the moment. So what did you guys make of this one? I had a really good time. Um, I I didn't I enjoyed the show. I what I find with Fight Club Pro is. I don't necessarily just love the show. I love the whole experience of mm. going to Fight Club Pro. It feels like you're on like a night out, even though I'm always driving. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, you just feel like you're with a bunch of mates in a like a bar or a club just watching some wrestling. And it's kind of about the social aspect of it as much as it is the wrestling, in a way. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a, something they've really made an effort to um, actually kind of hone as well because you think you've got the after party you've got this very sort of casual bar you've got um you've wrestlers got just sold. walking around yeah you've got food being sold there as well it starts late on a friday night it finishes late on a friday night afterwards you know if you want you've got the option of going to the after party and having a few more drinks 
people who have come from further afield, it gives them a bit more reason to come because it might make them want to go and stay in a hotel for a night and then go to the after party. So it feels like they've had a bit more of a night out of it if they've mm-hmm. come from f- further afield. So I think the whole experience is uh, something that they've really kind of done a really decent job with. And I think that's why we've seen attendances going up at each show. They seemed to me like this was the busiest one yet. How many people do you reckon were there? Oh, I'm going to say around the sort of 600 mark, six, mm. six to 700. Okay, okay. Um, and particularly because they had a new setup this time, because they had some Halloween stuff, but also there was a couple of stages where people were stood up on as well. And where we were stood, there was, the, there was a crane cam, which I thought was interesting, because that's the first time I've seen that. Yeah, it's the first any, time Any British wrestling company have that. Maybe uh, there will be some that's used a crane yeah. cam at some point, I think, but I thought that's an I interesting... I think I've seen Attack use it, yeah. yeah. I think I was just watching the VOD, though, not seeing it in person. Yes. Got you. Yeah, the crane, I thought, was a good addition as well. They're obviously mm. investing in the product, they're investing in the production values as well, really thinking about how vital those production values are yeah. in creating a good product on VOD as well and getting that experience across. Um, but yeah, I had a really good time at the show. Uh, this sounds kind of bad but I almost can't remember what was on the card (laughs) (laughs) off the top of my head (laughs) I know JP had uh, quite a few beers there I had a couple of shandies yeah I wasn't wasn't even drinking Um, I was driving oh god but um, I'm I'm just trying to I'm looking through now just reminding myself of what was on the card like I enjoyed everything but Mm. nothing was like kind of blow away put it that way everything was just very enjoyable I think my main takeaway was kind of the Omari Pete Dunn match. I think mm. Omari following up his fantastic performance against Keith Lee and just recently becoming you know the standout babyface in Fight Club Pro. I think this was the match that I mean it wasn't quite on the level of the Keith Lee match and it wasn't exactly yeah. a standout bell to bell match either. But there was just something great about the individual performances of both men. Dunn healing on the on the microphone talking about Omari's family before the match and Omari just being the the great underdog babyface that, that, that he is um, i don't know it felt like a definitive done win but does it feel like to you guys that uh, they're going somewhere with omari could we see him the infinity tournaments coming up next month uh, you think got, that's where they're going yeah you've got to think that that would be the case but then i suppose in a way that is kind of the obvious route to go down to a degree um but then again is that does that make it a bad thing um i would be tempted to kind of go all in on Imar on Amari at, at this point, simply because he is kind of their guy. He is their their homegrown guy, and we spoke last month about you know the possibility of the matches of him and Chris Brooks, him and Travis Banks. You know, there's some really interesting uh, stories that immediately come out of that as well. Um, so yeah, even though there is the um, you know the the fact he was a definitive Pete Dunn win. Um, at the same time, I think you would go all in on Amari from from this point. Particularly as we see the crowd reaction, and, and we're going to talk about it later on, but the music as well kind of fits in and it creates this vibe about him before he even gets to the ring. Yeah. And 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 he does. He, he I mean, apart from the shorts, which, let's <laughs> face it, they are an issue. He's going to need to do something about those at some point. But, you know... If he wins Infinity, we can sort that out then, can't we? Oh, yeah, Uh, he can. He can treat himself. 
<laughs> You're right, though. I mean, although it was definitive, they did give him the kick out of the drop dead. And he can't win all yep. of his matches. I think you want to have someone like a Dunn who he can bring in, who, who's sort of a heel in Fight Club Pro. Um, I mean, he is. I mean, the, the, his mic work was great, and his work in the individual match was great. I think sometimes, I mean, we'll get onto it later when we talk a little bit about one of our subjects, but I think the problem with Pete Dunn is everyone knows how lovely he is and everyone wants him to do well. Um, and sometimes in Fight Club Pro, they're not always consistent, are they show to show with uh, yeah. where people are slotted, whether it be heel or face. But I think in the in a vacuum in this particular match, it was probably as good as I've seen Dunn be. Um, yes. I mean, were there any other standouts for you? I mean, Banks, Travis Banks and Phoenix had, had a really uh, good match. I mean, we keep saying that about Travis Banks every, every month of Fight Club Pro. He, he seems to have the standout match. Yeah, that was my favourite match of the night. I think that was definitely the one that I was sort of most engaged uh, with throughout the match. Some of the scenes of a fi- seeing Phoenix do some of his uh, usual kind of offence live, I don't know, it was kind of wowed me in a way that hadn't been wowed yeah. in a while as well. And some of the kind of springboard type stuff. Some of his offence, I think, is so unique. And mm-hmm. him and Travis Banks, I thought, gel quite nicely here. They had what I'd just call a, a really nice match, if anything. Just a really mm-hmm. enjoyable match. Um, we were chatting to Travis Banks afterwards, weren't we? Mm-hmm. He seemed pretty sort of psyched about the match as well and how it had gone. Um, I just like watching Travis Banks wrestle, to be honest. You always know, like, apart from that Pete Dunn progress main event from Ali Pally, mm. I can't ever remember a bad Travis Banks singles match, really. Um, no. So you always know that he's going to deliver. You always know you're going to get something of quality whenever he's out there as well. And he seems to be facing a real kind of diversity of opponents as well, which yeah. I think is uh, definitely something that's, you know, put him in good stead because you can kind of work with anyone and have a good match with anyone. That's what I kind of liked about the match. It's yeah. kind of Phoenix flying and Banks coming back with his kicks. Although he did try to show he was no slouch in flying either, but Phoenix kind of hmm. got the better of him there. But yeah, Phoenix is just... He's so crisp, isn't he? Um, and it's just the, the ideal person to, to put in with, with Banks and just have these kinds of matches. Um, yeah, I think, so. I think between him and Penta, they seem to really enjoy themselves. And particularly in... in we saw them at the DTTI tournament as well. And, and this seems to be the, the place that they enjoy coming to when they're in the UK. I mean, where else have they worked? When they've, when they've, they've done Lucha Forever? Lucha Forever. I've feeling they have. Um, and they've done Rev Pro... I think in yeah. uh, did Pen- Penta did a Pompey show face Pete Dunne the main event. Oh. Mm. That was great. I've not seen I mean, that match still. I mean, not on the Pentagon point. Mm. I mean, while we're talking about it, what did you make of him, Brooks, in the main event? I mean, there's a he- heavy expectation on Chris Brooks as the world champion. I think, I think anyway, in Fight Club Pro. Yes, but I'm not always sure he's there as much as we all want no, him to as be. As a singles wrestler, I'm not sure myself, mm. to be honest. If you, yeah. it's it's funny. Compa- like, and I know it's it's kind of a apples and oranges comparison given what the both matches were trying to do but I kind of enjoyed his match against Curtis Chapman more than I enjoyed I did as th- well this match against against Pentagon and I'm going to say Pentagon sod it um, <sighs> but it's one of the the, the things is as well um, is that like I say that there is this amount of pressure on him and it, and I think as well that you know as long as we don't and we're not like rushing to judgment and saying that he's terrible and whatnot, but there is this kind of acceptance that Brooks needs a bit of time to kind of get you finding his feet still as the kind of main event singles guy um, in in Brett Rest at the minute. And 
I think at this stage, you know, there's nothing that's that's ever bad, but we're still waiting on that kind of one great match at, at this point, and and it's just it's it's not really happened. Yeah, I found him in Pentagon was a bit of a strange mix. Whereas, say, him and Curtis Chapman in that match, it seemed like there was more of a dynamic. And there were more. Mm. The, the, their characters were more clear cut and kind of functioned together a little bit better because you had Brooks in the kind of veteran role against this fiery young baby face, mm. and it was quite a simple story to tell. Whereas with the Pentagon match, it seemed a little bit different because it seemed like they were in the main event, um, and they sort of had come after a lot of decent matches that night. It was late in the night. And they tried to wrestle more... Of, I don't want to say an epic, but they tried to wrestle more of a main event style, let's say. Mm. And Brooks hasn't got a lot of singles experience in wrestling main events mm. on these type of shows. Um, so, yeah, there were definitely, you know, a few shortcomings there. He kind of went for epic, didn't he, with like, yeah. the double downs and all the normal big match stuff. But yeah. it just didn't really get going, did they? I mean... They've gotten Brooks's roll-up stuff over. I mean, they teased him going yep. for a roll-up at the finish, didn't they? And he kind of won with a victory roll instead. So they've gotten that over with him. But yeah, I don't know. I just think Brooks's is just someone who, obviously, everyone likes because of how he markets himself. Yeah. Uh, how presentable he is. I mean, how, how just nice a bloke he is whenever any of us have spoken to him or you hear anyone talk yep. about Chris Brooks. It's always positive, isn't it? Um, but hey, maybe he'll grow into well, the role. He's bloody great in single, uh, singles in multi-man matches as well. He's always got a role to play in a multi-man match. He seems very good at directing those sort of matches. He always yes. knows where he is. His timing's very good. The, the Obviously, the dynamic with both Lycos and Travis Banks works really nicely. I've just been a little bit disappointed whenever I've seen him in big singles matches. The Zack Sabre Jr. match at York Cool. Yeah, I don't think it was a bad match by any means, but it didn't feel like a. I don't know. He didn't feel like he was on Zach's level. Didn't feel um, like a Rev Pro title. A no, title no, no, no. It felt like a little bit too early. It yeah. felt like. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's good that he's getting these opportunities because he's only going to improve if he is being put in those kind of prominent positions as well. Yeah. And I think everyone's kind of urging him to break out. If anything, I think that if he was to be able to break out with his character, he'd be kind of a great um, like number one heel in progress at some point if he was able to. I think yeah. that they would get behind him and I think he's got... He just seems to have everything that he needs to do that. He's just got to get that little bit better in the ring, I think, and a little bit more reliable. Yeah, and, and also as why well, he's running these attack shows. Sorry to go back onto attack again as well. I mean, this is, this is a guy who is kind of um, like really well developed in kind of all aspects of being as you need to be as a wrestler these days, this kind of self-employed businessman. So he knows how to understand the interaction with fans. I know after the attack show, he was speaking to lots of fans and checking to see that had a good night and all the rest of it. And that's, you know, not every promoter is going to do that or be able to do that, but it's nice, you know, to think that he would, he would go out and do that. Um, but yeah, like I say, I think we're, we're kind of waiting for that that one really big match. I mean, I think a, a match against Amari because he could re, you could get some real great heat behind that one. So it'd, it'd be it'd be good to see that. At some I think point it depends how the year. Amari match is promoted as well. Yes. One of the things I want to say about Fight Club Pro is, is the PWG comparison. I think is apt in many ways. 
one thing that PWG seems to sort of have going on that Fight Club Pro does as well. PWG seems to sort of have one storyline at a time. So at the moment, it seems like they've got that Ricochet Chuck Taylor storyline going on. Um, previously, they had like what Chuck Taylor and Zach, I think, and I haven't really watched yes. PWG this year, but just sort of read stuff. Whereas at the moment, Fight Club Pro also seem to have one storyline going on, mm-hmm. which is Shea Persa, Martina, yes. and Dan Maloney. Now, Rock Persa to you. Sorry? Brock Persa to us. Oh, that was, that was a great... That really was a great moment, I've got to say. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I wish Fight Club Pro would develop a few more actual storylines for us to invest in. Now, yeah. I know it's got that kind of night out kind of vibe, like I was saying about... But some of the matches... Don't they don't feel like there's stakes in the matches quite often? Like Pentagon's got a title match. Okay, cool. Why's he got a title match? Dunno. Um <laughs> so sometimes I just wish there was a bit more in terms of actual storyline build, in terms of reasons why people are fighting and competing against one another. I do wish they'd have in, they'd have introduced a tag title as well during the DT DTTI last year. Yeah. Because I think they've got some really good tag teams that they like to bring into Fight Club Pro so that would have given it something else as well and it feels like they're very good at building comedy based storylines but they're not building any sort of serious storylines between competitors now I like the comedy storylines I think they're great and they are hilarious they always connect with the crowd whoever's writing those storylines has a great understanding of comic characters and how they connect with crowds or the rest of it but at the same time just Give Chris Brooks a storyline. Give Chris Brooks and Amari some sort of storyline. Have Chris Brooks cost Amari the um, Infinity. Infinity Tournament or something yeah. next month. Just put something in place, because I think in the end it'll all pay off, and it'll be hotter as a result of that. You want to have faith in them, don't you? I mean, like, just going back to it, you mentioned Omari, going back to the Pete Dunne match. I mean, there's every chance that was a well-thought-out match where the idea was to put you off the fact that Omari's going to be winning Infinity next month. But there's also every chance it was just a one-off match and next month Pete Dunne's going to be a babyface. Um, and Omari yeah. is going to be doing something else. It's just, you don't know with Fight Club Pro, do you? And you, you mentioned the tag title as well. I mean, just one last thing before we, we close on talking about Fight Club Pro. The the Probably, again, another strong match. I mean, we're not slagging the show by any means. It was another fun night, but British Strong Style and Aussie Open had a, had a really good tag match, I thought. Yes, oh, it was really good fun, yeah. Five minutes of dueling chance before it uh, even started. Yeah. I mean, the Aussie Open guys, I mean, talk about making the most of an opportunity. They, they seem to be absolutely everywhere now, don't they? And, and it's they're, definitely, they're really they're, good. They're really good. Kyle Fletcher's what? is he? I was talking about Curtis Chapman being the best teenager in the country. Sorry, Kyle Fletcher. Yeah, I think he's yeah. only 19 as well, isn't he? He's 19. There was there was something about how uh, Travis Banks and Mark Davis like to name um, WWE mid-carders from the early 2000s. It's WCW as well. And WCW. And he, has, and he has no idea who they are, so they'll tell him about who... They'll ask him, do you know, does he know who Chuck Palumbo is? <laughs> Just to kind of get their kicks. Um, which, I, which, which is nice, and I like the idea of it. But as a team... Um, they really gel. They really gel well together. Even though there's there's quite a disparity in terms of experience and age, and and styles between Davis and Fletcher, but it does work. And mm. and Davis, I mean that they've both kind of come on. You can see Carl Fletcher filling out as well. Um, he's not doing as much sort of daredevil work as 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 he was doing initially, but I mean they're in. in incredibly well composed team who are able I mean it was a it was a 
it wasn't like the greatest match in the world or anything, but it was a really it was a really good solid tag match. And there'll be other ones they'll have against Moustache Mountain in the near future as well. That that will and they'll only get better. Mm. And that pile driver is an absolute beast. Uh, every time you see that live, it, it just never gets easier to watch. And, no. Yeah, we don't get quite close enough because we kind of stand at the back, but those high fives that uh, Davis has thrown out look particularly oh, I've taken deadly one. as well. Yeah, yeah uh, Attacky did that. Yeah, and it It's was, a slap. Yeah, hell of a slap. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, that kind of wraps up our, our what we've been watching segment. So before we get to our, our main progress review in there, chapter 56, um, we always like to have a bit of a, a roundtable discussion in our shows. So just uh, in the middle of the show, uh, we like to talk about different subjects. And this mm. month, one subject we wanted to talk about was, I suppose that they tie into what we were talking about with Chris Brooks there with, I mean, it's a discussion about Twitter, insider terms, wrestler relationships. I don't know how exactly we'll title it, but it, it's funny. I mean, I, I, Going back to that Chris Brooks example, I think he's someone who quite clearly has a great relationship with fans, and I think it's definitely benefiting his career. Yes. On the on the flip side of things, Dan Maloney, another really good Fight Club Pro wrestler, a really good heel in Fight Club Pro. It, I think sometimes it, it, as good a heel as he is in the ring, it can be jarring when you're walking around the ring. You're walking around, say, intermission, and he's chatting to fans, being the happiest, nicest guy in the world. And it's kind of like, <laughs> you kind of, not that I wish for the old days where the wrestlers would hide in the back. I know there's the realities of they have to sell merch throughout the show and that's how they, they make their money. Um, so there is kind of a, that relationship is needed and it's it's a part of, of modern wrestling. But yeah, there just seems to be, we're in this weird crossover era now where, most wrestlers are quite happy to to interact with fans and are quite positive with fans, but you get some um, who <laughs> you, you get looking at Twitter, for example, you get the likes of a, of a CJ Banks who is best known for his ITV World of Sport, where kicking off because fans are using the term "good hands" and he doesn't <laughs> think they're using it rightly, and Emil J from. Uh, evolve uh, talking about how he doesn't like fans using the term worker um even nathan cruz on on the indie corner uh, about a year or so ago now maybe two years ago but it was reposted not long ago i did a whole um blog about how fans <coughs> should use inside the terms and there are words i mean if you want to start us off jp i mean oh. what's your feeling on it i mean well, I, I, my feeling about it is is kind of like, well, the genie's out of the bottle. And mm. the genie was put out of the bottle really by Vince McMahon officially when, uh, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, it was kind of a combination of things. It was the fact that they, because of tax loopholes, they couldn't, they didn't want to be registered as sport, but a sports entertainment to pay a lower rate of state tax when they were promoting there, which meant, in essence, kind of admitting that there was an element of predetermination. Mm. to it as soon as that happened and really then the monday night wars from that point onwards like at that stage it felt like you know the genie yeah like i said before the genie's out of the bottle but we're now at a point where we're all kind we all are all kind of in it and we you can't go back to what it was before it's changed and evolved it doesn't i don't think it takes away from any of the kind of overall experience and it's great when you're being surprised by stuff now but i think it it's just seems to be the evolution of the industry as much mm. as anything else and really it's almost like the real storyline is them themselves and how they're all kind of 
I wouldn't say competing, but they're all striving to be kind of known on this kind of grander stage. And mm-hmm. some of them have a desire to kind of get signed up by big companies, and some of them want to be they're kind of these independent self self employed businessmen, effectively. And I think the stuff that happens within the ring is is almost oh, I'm probably not explaining it very well. Um, but what goes on in the ring is is kind of part of their overall growth as a person. And these are these are so we look at someone like Chris Brooks, for example, and you know you hear the story of him being a fan who was going to Fight Club pro shows, and you see him now and he's running his own shows with with Attack, and you you see him become this CZW fans as well. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. And and you know becoming this kind of this is someone who who was a fan as much as anything else. And I think sometimes maybe some of the wrestlers who are the people who don't like the inside term, it's like kind of remember how they were. I think someone like Brooks gets it from the perspective that of how we are fans, because he was one of us in a way. Mm. So I think he understands why the group of people that go to say fight club pro are fans. And he knows how to engage those fans because of that was him. And he knows what makes those fans tick because he used to probably hang out with those fans at shows. I know he was at the PWG show in Portsmouth in 2007. I've heard him say before, which I was at, which is, you know, when I heard that, I was like, that's pretty cool that he was there and he was sort of talking about it and stuff. And you know, that that was a select group of fans who were a certain type of fan now i do wonder with someone like a cj banks i don't really know much about the bloke and i do wonder with say nathan cruz like what was their kind of wrestling fandom growing up and then i sort of wonder like i know nathan cruz spent a lot of time in the camps with brian dixon and all the rest of it where there seems like there's probably a little bit more of an old school mentality you know and the moment you hear blue eye outside of that camp or oh, <laughs> insulting um you know if you're not soft dis- handshakes yeah if you're not saying if you're saying blue eye outside of a caravan in mm. Minehead, then you know it's not it's not that much of an insult really like is it that big it's, a deal like i'll leave like sorry benno no no quite carry on what you're gonna say like i'll leave you know nathan cruz to go and put his vhs tapes of world of sport in his vhs player in his old ramshackle caravan in minehead if that's the way he kind of thinks about it because let's be honest at the end of the day what's it matter what's it matter it's like you know football terms are used inside a football dressing room do i use those terms have i used those terms since i was about six yeah probably because i started playing football then and was in football dressing rooms wrestling is so bloody weird and these insular elements of wrestling i think are so archaic and you know Come on, guys, get with the program. It's not what it was in 1984. It's 2017. It's progressed. It's probably progressed for the best as well in many ways. Uh, You know, like JP said, the genie is out the bottle. When you're referring to stuff in wrestling promotions as canon, you know, and that's a term I see used quite a lot now by, like, the voices of wrestling guys and stuff, that tells you what wrestling is. It's, you know, narrative-based like theatre like drama really isn't it it's not something to get upset about because someone might have used a term slightly inappropriately i think it's kind of i mean i'm a good example i mean i should actually probably say before we go further i mean stewie runs the indie corner for example he's in he's in more of an agreement with the nathan cruz camp than we are 
he's not a big fan of insider terms. Mm-hmm. If I write a review for the Indicorner website out of respect for him, I'll try to avoid using the terms. But there does come a point where it's kind of like it's the English language, isn't it? And the, the point I'll always make it's, I mean, if you take take for example the word selling, that's a word that's used in wrestling, and we all know what it means now. If I wanted to try and use a different word for selling, if I didn't want to use that inside the term, what word would I use? Well, exactly. I don't think but there also, is one. But also, selling is used in other industries. So mm. as a um, media teacher, when students are acting in like short films or music videos or whatever, I'll tell them to sell. And, uh, you know, wrestling has probably influenced me <laughs> using yeah. that term. But they know what it means. They know that, I don't know, if someone is just murdered someone's mum they're probably going to sell it in quite an emotional shocked manner whereas if someone has just asked the love of their life to marry them they're going to sell it in an elated uh sort of manner you know selling doesn't just have to be something that you do in a wrestling ring it can be in any kind of walk really if someone says to me i don't know um your mum died right Perhaps I want to know sell my mum dying. I don't know. What am I talking about? Well, I was going to... Oh, that got weird for a second. <laughs> I, just before you go, JP, I just want to say... I mean, a better example probably is... I mean, <laughs> CJ Banks, the, the tweet that he made was... He was arguing, he was saying, just because you hear Steve Austin use the phrase good hand in his podcast doesn't mean you Mechanic. know what Good hand is not wrestling terminology. I mean, it might be wrestling terminology, but it's also the English language. Good hand can be used in many different forms. As a teacher, I have heard teachers who are very good at teaching different types of classes at different levels referred to as good hands. And I should point out... By non-wrestling fans. I mean, CJ Banks is someone that I know vaguely from... I trained with GPW for a couple of years, and he kind of overlapped with me there. So if I saw him, I'd say hello. He's always been very nice to me. But, I mean, that kind of brings up another thing as well. I'm somebody I trained for two years with GPW. So when I was training to wrestle, and when I was wrestling, I would use those terms. Now that I'm, you know, I I had a handful of matches that didn't go anywhere. Now that I'm a fan, am I supposed to stop using those terms? Because, again, at the end of the day, those terms mean what they mean. They're part of the language. They are the terms. Um, I mean, and as JP said, and I'll let you go now, JP, but you know, you mentioned that there's a, there's a Wikipedia page with Inside the Terms on it. WWE will do documentaries where they will use Inside the Terms and talk about all. I mean, how many Monday Night War documentaries yeah. are they going to make? Uh, Unless Arn think- Anderson's on it, he ain't selling it. <laughs> He ain't selling anything. Uh, but I think, yeah, before, pretend, you know, you can pretend that you can bury your head in the sand yeah. and pretend we're not living in the modern world. And like I said at the start, I, I'd complain a little bit about wrestlers who are working heel all of a sudden being a babyface as soon as the match ends and they're trying to sell a T-shirt. But to me, that's a minor complaint. I think overall, personally, I, I enjoy the business much more. I enjoy the business of wrestling, following the uh, analyzing wrestling and that side of things. And you, you can't talk about, you can't analyze wrestling, I don't think properly without using those terms no i completely agree and there's you know there's an approach to everything so you know some people go to the cinema and like to just watch a film and sit back and not think about it whereas you know if i go to the cinema i'm probably going to be thinking about what i'm watching i'm going to be thinking about how it's written i'm going to think about some of the direction you know i'm going to think about the way it's shot like all of the unfortunately in many ways these things do occur to me while i'm watching stuff i can't help having more of an analytical curiosity and you know people are going to consume things in a different way people are going to be curious about different things i couldn't tell you insider terms that are used in i don't know 
bowling but i'm sure that i don't know lots of bowling experts will yeah. you know use them who are oh, bowling what some of my examples today i apologize bloody awful but we <laughs> but, but we've seen this situation happen where i think there's a risk of when wrestlers will come out and, and and make these kind of statements of you can't control the nature of fandom now that has changed there are going to be some fans who are kind of au fait with the terms you see some promotions kind of explicitly do cheer faces boo heels and you know you see that type of stuff and you think okay and there's some people who are going to do that now i have to say i've booed zach gibson when he does his promo but i'm doing it because i absolutely love it it's brilliant. And I and actually, there's a lot of times where I won't even get around to booing it. He'll do his promo, and I'm just there laughing away. Oh, yeah, I'd be pissed about it. Thinking, this is just brilliant. And, you know, that's that's the, the kind of nature of it. It's like the, the, the way that the fans have kind of... Um, the, the way the fan base of wrestling has kind of evolved, this has become, like, kind of almost part of the appeal of, of people losing themselves for... For a couple of hours during a show, and then afterwards, as we're all leaving, it's like what a, it's like you're going up to a degree to actors and saying what a great performance you did. Exactly. You know, that's kind of really all this is. Um, this this kind of uh, and, and you know, and you see this kind of attitude for for like wrestlers. I mean, I see it in everyday life. I think when I see say Katie Hopkins, all I do is think is Katie Hopkins is playing a heel in order to get herself work. Like, and I think, and I will say as a disclaimer, everything she says is generally vile. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of pronouns she's used that I'd be all right with her using, but on the, but <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Um, but to say, but someone like Kate Hobbins is clearly playing the heel. You see this, you see this happen a lot and you see it happen within even the Houses of Parliament. The way that people are taking on even a kind of persona when it comes to oh, PMQs. Pr- I was about to say, Prime Minister's questions is heels versus faces. It is. And, you know, with the kind of delight in, in kind of doing this, you see the way someone like Peter Hitchens would like to be, would like to be a <laughs> I don't heel. know if many of our listeners are going to know Peter Hitchens. I think they do. I think, give them some fame. All right. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, this, is, this has changed. The industry has changed. And it's like, okay, we can go back to a time when that wasn't the case, but that was also the time that British wrestling was on its arse and dying. And they've attracted this entire fan base of whom they are they know what's going yeah, on. Let's be honest, British wrestling during the Robbie Brookside Frankie Sloan era was yeah. not a golden age. Like, I'll be honest, it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. I've got I had no interest. A couple of long haired blokes from Liverpool doing stuff in a ring didn't really interest me in front of, you know, kids and it wasn't branded well it wasn't marketed well i don't know mate you you ain't at sabootal so i'm not sure how you can quite say that uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, i mean yeah i I kind of we've gone from the days haven't we where i mean all-star would come to to liverpool and run a show and it was scorched there they'd come put on a shite show sell a load of merchandise but would any of those fans come back again i'm not too sure and there are still promotions like that that run that you know they're I know that uh, you know the the family camp type shows do mm-hmm. draw numbers. I know there was a show in the the Isle of Man last week that did eight hundred odd people with CJ Banks, who we were talking about, Sam Grabwell, and a few others on. I think that there is still a market for that, but I think yeah, definitely the the scene is richer, isn't it? Um, given yeah, what it is now, um, and it's different. Hey. 
different type of fan bases as well. The, mm-hmm. the the you know the holiday camp shows. It's it's that kind of it's that casual and audience. It's good that exists. Young, like I spoke you know, kind of negatively, yeah, negatively about it in regard to the Nathan Cruz boy. And you know, I've got nothing against those sort of shows. I'm glad they exist. I'm glad they provide regular work for people. You know, it's a decent attraction. I understand what its place is, what its influence is. You get guys like, say, like a Dean Allmark, who I think is really decent in the ring and mm. obviously plied his trade at the camps forever as well. So, yeah, I don't mean any disrespect to that. It's just maybe the culture that it breeds in terms of more of an old-school mentality, which I do think actually affects those wrestlers that adopt that because you were talking about Twitter personas. And like Nathan Cruz, I've heard him speak before, he doesn't really have a persona that engages the current audience in a way that they're going to, you know, really buy into him, I don't think. Um, Obviously, at the origin in progress, did anyone care about Nathan Cruz, really? I suppose they had a pretty good tag title run, but often when Nathan Cruz would come out, I'd be off to the pisser or off to the bar. And I might come back halfway through the match, but when progress seemed to drop him, I can't say I was complaining. He doesn't have a cool persona, let's say. He doesn't have mm. that cool personality that is going to engage people in the current kind of more hardcore fan base in investing in him, really. And I was going to... I was uh, One other point as well is, is that with with wrestlers these days, the amount of roles that they have to take on in order to be able to make a full-time living, the, the fact that they are... They do have to liaise. They do have to plug their merchandise and plug where they're going to be appearing next and asking fans even to retweet dates when they've, they've got to be available and send them to promotions and all of these things. And, and you know, I'm trying to think of any of those wrestlers who've, who've criticised, has there been a point where they've asked fans to retweet that they're free on this particular weekend and they're looking for a promotion if something <laughs> well, goes wrong? I think that the best example, I mean, again, some of those people we've mentioned already, I know Mikey Whiplash used to be quite uh, vocal on Twitter about smart fans. But at the end of the day, if you're saying these things on your public Twitter, using these words in public Twitter, I mean, do you not see the irony there that you're complaining about fans knowing and using these terms when mm. you're the first person on Twitter to talk about how good so, such and such a worker is? Um, but then at the same time, you're the first person to, to give someone grief if they've, if they've never taken a bump and they're, they're using these terms. So, it, get, yeah. it gets dangerously into that football punditry world whereby mm. any journalist or anybody who criticises an aspect of a game, well, you haven't played professional football, therefore you don't know. And it's like, well, I do have eyes, ears, and a memory. So I can make some assumptions from that. And, you know, I, I think that there, there's that... You don't want to be dangerously kind of inside that bubble of... Particularly if fans end up rejecting things as well by saying, well, the problem is they just don't understand. Because I think there's that, you know, you need to treat your in- your audience with with, in- with intelligence and integrity to quote Kurt Angle but and you don't do that if you say to them these words you can't use because it's like well why well no one's going to stop using them no I know but the audience it's, coming it's, out and the saying the thing is that. That, like the fact we're even talking about this at this point it's almost like this is actually a subject in 2017 in a way mm-hmm. um, yeah. because it's just so past it and those that are kind of 
hankering for those days. Are those those the same people that are harker on about political correctness gone mad, maybe, and all yeah. the rest of it? <laughs> <laughs> I think you, you, the best analogy, uh, Joe, on the Voice of the Wrestling podcast, always says you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, and that's yep. kind of what it is, isn't it? Um, that's it. I think it just it is the world that we live in now. I mean, I'll kind of close things by by saying I am a I'm a fan of Nathan Cruz. I think he's all right. But I might yeah. not agree with it. <laughs> Sorry, he's not. He's not the worst. Also. Uh, also, as well, any of those any of those wrestlers would they have criticised when Mark Dallas and Jim Smallman had a chat on Tuesday Night Jaw recently, where they were both explaining that they were going to be those type of fans who were critical and reading the Observer and and you know using using term using um, what would be considered some kind of like verboten terminology that 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 was them doing it, and that's the promoters, you know. Let's yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'll shut up. <laughs> Indeed. So that kind of wraps that one up. If anyone's got any feedback on that point of view, if you have a you know a counterpoint, and I know there are people who feel strongly, uh, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, we'll give our Twitters out at the end, or, or tag at in the indie, uh, at the indie corner, um, and we will definitely uh, talk about it more uh, if anyone does prevent a, a counterpoint there. Right, so it's time to get to our, our main review. Um, Progress, Chapter 56, La Danse Macabre. I think that's how you pronounce it anyway. It the first show with the kind of new Progress, a, a rebooted Progress since uh, Ale- Alexander Palace. They kind of came out with, uh, we all watched this show on VOD, and they've come out with new a new 80s anti-piracy video at the start of the show, which I kind of enjoyed. New graphics. Um, they're kind of trying to, to freshen things up a little bit. Uh, I think overall, uh, I enjoyed the show, or I'm not sure if maybe I enjoyed riffing on it on Twitter uh, just as much as I enjoyed the show. <laughs> There's some controversial things to the show as a whole, um, but I don't know, you guys, what, what did you make of this? Uh, Progress's return after a lengthy absence for them? Um, I, it's a weird figures. I enjoyed it while being highly critical of it at the same time and thinking yeah thinking there was so much about it that was quite enjoyable i think i just enjoy the kind of general atmosphere at the ballroom it feels like ages since i've seen a show from there so it felt quite fresh in a way i think for me as well it's the fact that you mentioned the atmosphere of it and the presentation of it although i've got some criticism of the way the camera's cut on some of the production elements something about the way it looks is is probably the best in brit res i think we criticise Fight Club Pro maybe for not doing stories, and although, as we'll get to, some of Progress's stories don't land with us, at least they try, I kind of think, sometimes. Yes. At least they're the one promotion, aren't they, where you, you can say they do. It's in the story progression at every show, pretty much. Yeah, it's it looks cool. It really does. There's no denying that at all. Um, it, you know, Ring of Honor in the mid-2000s had the look with the the guardrails of ROH on and stuff and the cool looking ring and everything. The presentation was great. And it's the same with progress. Um, yeah, overall I really enjoyed the show in a weird way because I didn't think it was amazing, but I was perfectly kind of entertained and I was with the show throughout. Like I did skip one match, um, but everything else that I watched, I was with throughout basically in some way. Yeah. I'd say I'd, I'd echo both of your thoughts on that where I enjoyed it it didn't mean I loved everything and obviously it's probably easier to take for granted the stuff that's good about progress whilst at the same time sort of focusing on the bits that we don't particularly like I think that it's because it's been better previously and it can still be better in 
like it can easily be better. There are so many things. So let's take the opening promo for example. Probably let's do it. Let's get into it. The yeah. opening promo. British strong style come out and did they turn face? Is that what this was? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Now let's be honest here, right? So you've got Pete Dunne. Trent Seven and Tyler Bate. Trent Seven loves a laugh. I love Trent Seven having a laugh. He's hilarious. I love him. Um, but at the same time, oh, we lost them belts. Chris Roberts, he bossed us about a bit. Sledgehammers tried to kill him. Ha, ha, ha. Lol. <laughs> like, come on. Like, yeah. you know, there's... I spoke about canon earlier, right? In, say, a comic book, does Doc Ock approach Spider-Man and say, hey, I've tried to kill you, Spidey, but here we go, how about it? No, like, come on. This is, they missed an opportunity here. So, Joseph Connors attacks Pete Dunne. We'll we'll get to that. But later in the show, they form this hill faction between Mark Mark Andrews, Mark Haskins and Jimmy Havoc, right? And I'm assuming they want these guys over as kind of their new, like, hill faction, right? Why not run an angle where you do some form of a double turn? So you have the Trent Seven and Tyler Bate match with David Starr and um, Jack Sexsmith, and it starts off with Tyler and Trent being kind of more heelish, right? But why not have um, Jimmy Havoc and Mark Haskins in some way interfere, complain about not being on the card, do some form of a beatdown on British Strong Style that in some way turns them face because and turns Havoc and Haskins heel at the same time like it just felt like such a missed opportunity to be why not use your your number one heels from the past year or so to get your new heels over while in turn making those heels into baby faces to me it seemed really logical but that would be the way to do this not just all right lads we're we've got a smile on our face not new music let's have a little dance Let's have a little jig to a fake version of Sledgehammer. It's just so stupid. But it's, hey, it's progress. Hey, we love progress. We love everything they do. Oh, look at Trent Seven's smile. What a man. And what a man. What a man. Love the man. But come on. That's the thing, isn't it? I'm I'm glad this heel British strong style paradox is over. I'm glad he's gone. I'm glad that you know we're not having to treat them as heels because they're leaving to go to WWE where their faces, who are also progressors mates. That's done with and that's great. But it was kind of like I think the best thing that encapsulates this, I was following along the show on Twitter and after the show I saw Alan Farrell did a tweet where he was convinced he'd missed something. He was convinced there was a show before this one. <laughs> where an actual turn took place and this was just kind of the promo after that which was, you know, a very funny promo in a vacuum, but it was just, it just felt so lazy not coming after yeah. a more substantial angle. And this I've, was just it, wasn't it? Trent, too yeah. sweet to Glenn, and we're all happy again. I mean, it's just... And I almost I felt don't. sorry. I don't know how the guys doing it felt, but I almost felt sorry for them because there was no turn to make us care that little bit more as well and it's little things like that that just i don't know really make me wonder again whether progress are too fit on the ground um if they become lazy if they just go well the the fan the fans love you anyway they're just booing it booing you because we tell them to boo you so if we tell them to cheer you they love you anyway they'll cheer you it just feels like they're taking the fans for granted in a way and obviously all the ultras 
branded fans like WWE Universe will, you know, probably bitch and moan that, you know, we're being harsh on progress again and all the rest of it. But at the same time, it feels like they're cutting corners because they know they can get away with stuff because the fans are so in the bubble that they'll just go with what they want them to go with in many ways. Mm. So, yeah, it, it kind of is a shame that... I was well, there was a good seven weeks between shows in order to come up with something that was going to kind of... That was going to make this uh, that, that was going to make this turn somewhat more convincing, mm-hmm. and I kind of watched it, and, and this was I saw it later than you guys, and I was like, right, okay then, and it, it left me cold. Imagine how much that face turn could have meant as well for British Strong Style, and how hot they could have been, and how they could have had an instant feud with British Strong Style, putting over Havoc and Haskins and establishing them in a more meaningful way, while having a feud bubble in the background with, say, Jack Sexsmith, who was also involved in the beatdown in some way. It would have given them options, it would have given them um, more engaging storylines. I just feel like during the Jimmy Havoc uh, era of progress with the original Hill run, they would have found a way to have made the most of opportunities like this, and now they're just kind of skipping on opportunities because, well, why not? Mm. (laughs) Are are they spreading themselves too thin again? One other thing that I wanted to say about um, this opening promo as well, um, the Joseph Connors thing, Sorry, I, I feel like I'm sort of t- taken over here. No, but no, Joseph Connors is what we do need to get into next yeah. because his big debut getting met by audible laughter, and I'm sure there was a, I could hear a fan say, "For fuck's sake!" Yeah, no, I, I heard that. I, I put cause... it on Twitter at the time. It absolutely made my day. I was just, I mean, Joseph Connors. I mean, who's next? The Muscle Cat. It's just, yeah, he was <sighs> never on. Pro- like you said, Joe, he was never. I can't see Joseph Connors it's... being on progress as radar no. in the Jimmy Havoc era. No, um, if you if you want to. Tell me him being here and being the guy who comes out that they're trying to make has nothing to do with WWE. WWE. I just can't buy it. And what we're just- going to get is Jim Saunders does. We've liked him for ages. He's always been on our radar. We've said to him ages ago, we want to bring him in. I met him at the, uh, the UK tournament. Thought, Lovely bloke. He's, he's my mate. That's what we're going to get. The same 101 argument, the old defence. We've heard it all before. No, this is pure WWE, without a doubt. And it's, it, it's at the point where it is just funny. Like, people are kind of... I thought that he didn't get any form of reaction, really, did he, when he came it's out? It's a mild... He did from Glenn Joseph. I could, oh. I can still fucking hear we'll the shouting in my ears. One, one thing as well, with the Joseph Codders thing, when um, Zach Gibson and James Drake came out beforehand, it had me fearing the worst. So... Are they now going to make a faction with Joseph Connors, James Drake, and Zach Gibson? Because if so, Zach Gibson is carrying two pieces of the deadest weight possible on his shoulders. (laughs) And if he makes it work, fuck me, that man really is amazing. He really is fucking great at what he does. Because... If that's what they're expecting him to do, then one, I feel sorry for him for being so good at his job that they're now not willing to push him as a single and they're pushing him with two pieces of, like I say, dead weight. But my God, like he has got a job on his hands if they're hoping that faction works. I just think, I mean, maybe we're in the minority, but I just don't know who wants to see that. Who wants to see that faction? Who, Like you said, wants to see Zach Gibson tied down with these two. It's just... Do you think... I mean, we talked about the fact that this felt 
like there was an angle missing in the middle, like something else mm. should have happened in those six weeks, or yeah. you know, this should have been one more show down the line. Do you think maybe they're rushing it? I mean, I've got a conspiracy theory. Triple H showed up as a time of recording, turned up at ICW yesterday, didn't he? Oh, everyone's good mate, Paul, absolute yeah. genius. <laughs> I love him. I love how brazen he is. Always he's loved him. He's coming yeah. out and saying, how it, I mean, he, he's just coming out and cutting a rah rah Indies promo right in everyone's face, and people are happy to see Triple H. And if I was at the show, I wonder if I were the chair myself. But I wouldn't. Nah. Progress did, uh, did, uh, I know. <laughs> Do you think didn't. he cut that promo to CM Punk when he first came in? Yeah. You were great on the Indies, mate. We're going to push you to the. I'll moon. be honest. Um, I've never really. I've liked Triple H's matches over the years. I do think he's possibly one of the most overrated wrestlers of all time in ring. He's not one of the all-time greats, as we're going to be told he is forever. But at the same time, he's a bit of a dick. And I'd never get the opportunity to call the man a cunt unless I was in the ballroom and he'd turn up there. (laughs) So I'd probably just shout cunt and get thrown out. It'd be worth it. Well, that kind of goes to my conspiracy theory because maybe not the ballroom, but he's ruined progress. Let's be honest; they have ruined progress. It isn't the same anymore. Why? Like, there are so many who also agree with us. Doesn't seem like many people who go to the show still agree with us. But those who are at the show who you know maybe don't like the WWE influence. Make it hurt. He's going to be stood next to you, basically, the distance you are from the ring. Just just shout a little, you know, ah, screw this, fuck Triple H. I'd be well up for that. <laughs> a not-punk champ, maybe. Um, yeah. I mean, oh, please. Do you, do you think that then? That's what I'm kind of getting at. They've got the Manchester show coming up. They did a teaser tweet saying it would be worth the trip with a capital T to people that they then <sighs> removed from their Twitter. Do you think it's coming? Do you think we're yes. going to see Paul in yeah. progress? <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's our good mate. I said, come along to the show. We'll have you, we'll have you there. We'll be happy to have you at any time. I don't think it'll be the only time we see him as well. We'll see him on the build-up to Wembley. He'll mm. he'll he'll be there. Giving him his royal seal of approval. Ah, <laughs> oh, Benno, please get the booze. Please get something on the gut. Undo- I'll, have to, I'll have to say something in your honour there, Joe, if he, if he does turn up. Please. I, I just think, yeah, maybe the fact that, that was, that's on the horizon made them think that, well... British strong style need to be faces because if Triple H are mates coming out in Manchester, then sure, you know, that you don't want that again problem of uh, he's like British strong style guys being the heels rather than the the faces. I get it. He's like the Wayne Rooney of uh, wrestling in a way. He always just gets in the way. He's always just there floating around. He has to have a match at WrestleMania that's always a bit meh at this point. But he's got to be on the card. Like Wayne Rooney had to be in the England set. Sigurdsson right now at Everton, Benno. I bet you're feeling the frustration because Rooney's got to be in there. He's got to be in there because he's Wayne Rooney. Paul's got to be there because he's Paul. He has to have his fucking influence constantly. Like he's no longer in the. He's no longer a full-time wrestler. But it's like he's got to constantly endorse who is the man in the company endorsing Seth Rollins putting over Roman Reigns oh, I'm going on a WWE rant now I, I, I hate WWE at this is it, point is it not much well, the same so. thing at this stage yeah <laughs> sorry that's so so silly my lack of food and caffeine today is making me go crazier <laughs> than usual uh, I mean, <laughs> moving on, and I'm sure it'll, the, those those bits will come back up again. I mean, aside from the, the British Strong Style Open, that yeah, uh, I don't think yeah, it's safe to say none of us were really again enjoyed it in a vacuum. But uh, as far as a, a wider narrative, not a fan whatsoever. No. We did get uh, some brighter stuff on the show. Uh, we yeah. got 
first matchup, I mean, Omari, uh, we talked about at length earlier, and Aussie Open teamed up to take on the Never Say Die team with Connor Mills. I mean, uh, JP, you're a big fan of, uh, I don't know, what, what would you say, up-and-coming wrestlers? Uh, yes. Kind of like England under-21s. It's it's your thing, this is, isn't <laughs> oh, it? Oh, yeah, it is. This, is. this is probably closer to a degree. I'm, I'm probably so hipsterish about young wrestlers that now they've got the under-21s, I'm past them. Once they got out of the under-17s and under-20s, then, then, that, then that's <laughs> it um it's interesting because alex cupid who's kind of really a protege of rj singh and has done commentary for ref pro at some of the cockpit shows he's worked a, a lot more and you can see him he's really kind of filled out in the time that that we've known him as well and he kind of was there a lot of the basis for the for the start for the start of the match um there were there were things about this match that I really liked. There were some things I wasn't as keen about. Uh, I mean, I, I remember speaking to Joe about it um, after I'd actually seen the match, thinking they they gave the Never Say Die and Connor Mills team almost too much. This should have been really much more of a sort of coming out party for Amari and an Aussie Open as well. That, that that's kind of what it what it should be. They looked smoother, and I'm not really willing to be necessarily critical of of any of the Projo lads because they're so insanely young that that it's not fair to do that. But they were they were so much smoother. They looked they you know Amari came in, although he hasn't got the Rizzle Kick song. And don't get me started on the music. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Be started on the music because some of it he was. Just paint between that and and screaming. Yeah, but he's mixed race. We've given him a rap song. Oh, <laughs> God, no! It just felt like, oh, yeah. Um, I mean, overall, I enjoyed it because I always enjoy these these um, young lads matches. I mean, uh, and with D'Angelo, there were, Dylan D'Angelo, there was times he felt kind of slightly out of place. It possibly went on a little bit too long. But at the same time, you know, uh, it, it was the right team going over. Um, they, they, I'd like to see <coughs> Aussie Open in a kind of real full-on run for the um, Progress Tag Belts. You know, don't go there yet. I can see Mark Davis being built up as the the kind of long-term Atlas challenger as well. Um but yeah, I mean, I thought a really solid opener. We're going to see more of this and we kind of need to go through this phase, as you've said before, with this being the new season of progress and kind of the reboot that we need to see. We need to see more of um, these young wrestlers being given a chance on these much more high profile, high pressure kind of events. I think we're at that point where it does need that kind of influx of new blood. And I'll be delighted to see Amari and um, Aussie Open coming back in anytime soon. Yeah, my thoughts on this were it was an attempt to get all six men over rather than the three uh, Fight Club Pro guys. Whereas I thought at this point it wasn't the right time to try and get the Projo lads over. It felt like um, the... For me, it should have been all about getting the Aussie guys and Amari over, and you should have been establishing those three as three new guys in the company, um, sort of giving them a bit more offence, making uh, the Projo guys sell a bit more for 
the Fight Club Pro guys. Whereas instead, I actually thought that the Projo guys got a bit more offence in and got a few more, I hate you saying this, but a few more sort of fancy moves in as well. And it felt like they were really trying to establish the three homegrown progress guys as well as the Fight Club Pro guys. And I just really felt that was the wrong time to do it because really, I thought Mark Davis really starred in it. But I didn't actually think Kyle Fletcher and Amari got to kind of stand out as much as they should have been given the opportunity to in the match. Like, Amari was hardly in the ring. I can hardly remember anything Kyle Fletcher really did in the match. And I can remember a lot of what the Projo guys did in the match. And really, shouldn't I be coming out of this remembering the Fight Club Pro guys, wanting to see more of them in progress? And other than Mark Davis, I didn't feel any great desire to see any more of... um, Uh, what's his name, Kyle Fletcher and Amari in progress. I came out of it thinking, those Projo guys look alright, but they need to be a bit more established at this point, and they need a little bit more experience and maybe a little bit more of a rep, because at progress, in progress, really right now, it seems like you have to have that bit more of an established rep in order to really get over and kind of make it in the promotion. You think in the last while, of Projo guys, who have had a little sort of... um, you know, a little kind of um, flirtation with progress. Damon Moser, where's he now? Uh, Pastor William Eva won the belt, seems to have been kind of forgotten about. Chuck Mambo just sits in the crowd at shows, doesn't really seem to work. Seems to be every show I go to, just sat watching. Why is he not working in a in Walthamstow in front of 80 people on a Friday yes. night? He doesn't seem to have established himself on the main card. The only one that really seems to have established himself at this point it's Jack Sexsmith. Obviously, you've got Ginny and you've got some of the um, female wrestlers as well. But on the subject of male wrestlers, Sexsmith really is the only projo talent that remains in cards. West Sebastian now. He's disappeared as well. He's not been around for almost He's a year. He's away with his missus, isn't he? Didn't he? She, she does a, a Katie... Oh, who she do? Katie Perry. Katie Perry, yeah. She, she does like shows, does a tribute as well. I think he's somewhere abroad, selling himself. So I'm not really worried about him, but... Yeah, I'd kind of share. Oh, I miss Sebastian. Yeah, I kind of share your thoughts. I thought never to say die were likable, but they're just uh, there was a couple of minor botches in there, and they yeah. did just look not the same standard. But I would say to your point, Joe, that it it was at least good that the the progress knew. Uh, they put the right team over, didn't they? It wasn't like they, they put the did, own. but I felt like they had to try and make their guys look as credible as possible in the process and I don't think it was the right time to do that I think it was the right time to really just make the Aussie boys and Amari stand out and look like like new stars in the promotion mm-hmm. who were going to kind of take the promotion by storm um, whereas I, I didn't really think they did that at the end of this I, people may disagree um, but it felt like there was a lot of anticipation for them debuting the crowd seemed quite familiar with them I just wanted them to look a little bit stronger in the match generally. Yeah. And, and I would just say as a, as a, as a thing as well, as I hope we're kind of moving away from the idea of a lot of the trainees coming in with these defined characters. Um, I kind of think at this stage, like maybe it's just, <coughs> me, I don't know, any, and I, I'm not, not a wrestler, but it's those kind of fun that working those good matches is, is kind of what I want to see from them at this point. What I don't want to see is time travelling surfers. <laughs> like I'm a grown man, that 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 shit's not going to fly. Let's actually try to, to, to sort of work on good matches 
And in that character, like we've seen with Amari and we've seen with Aussie Open, that kind of comes along with it. They find that along the way themselves. It's much more organic. Sod the, sod the soap opera stuff for five the minutes. The 1993 WWE gimmicks. <laughs> yeah. Well, next up, we are James Davis and Tim Thatcher. I don't think we'll spend much time on this match. I, no, please don't. I, I said at the time, I'm a big fan of the riots, or at least I was, uh, but Strangler Davis just doesn't, for me, belong on this level. I thought it was a bad shout for him. in going over by a stoppage as well, I know they played up the eye thing with Tim Thatcher, but I don't know. I just don't, under any circumstance, I wouldn't be putting James Davis over here. Any any brief thoughts on, on the character and the match? Talking of 1993 WWE gimmicks, <laughs> here's some enhancement talent. Yeah. yeah. He looks like an enhancement talent from the 90s. It's not a, it's a, it's, it makes no sense. I saw the, the, the snippet they released where he, he said he's an, he, he said he's, he's a user. <sighs> he said, and I was like, what the hell is this? Like we, and again, I suppose there's this element of we we like to kind of we want to know where this is going with these characters. Maybe there's a rush to judgment on it, but I think with Strangler Davis now we've we've had a couple of months and it ain't working. This is the one I skipped, if I'm honest. I <laughs> just no interest. I watched it. I saw the ending, and again, I kind of heard moans <laughs> from the crowd. That's what what came across. What I didn't see was oh my god, Strangler Davis is on a is on a rampage. It's interesting what? because it's the only place that he seems to really get pushed as well. I know he was a little bit in IPW UK, but hmm, yeah. is there a reason for that? Moving on then, uh, Zach Gibson and, and James Drake took on the CCK team of, surprisingly, uh, Chris Brooks and, and Jimmy Havoc. Um, and another issue, where unfortunately, a kid like us is obviously having uh, that extended issue with his shoulder. I thought this was a good match. There was a lot of comedy bumbling from the heel team, uh, Gibson and Drake. Um, again, we, we talked earlier about how we're quite big fans of Gibson, maybe not so much Drake, but I quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, Lycos getting chased about and bumped and I, to be honest, I thought this was a, a case where I actually really liked the booking. I liked, may, maybe it might be very WWE, but I liked the fact that Havoc was the one to to eat the pin here. Yes. Um, considering he was about to get rebooted later on in the night, it didn't hurt him to lose here. Um, and it meant that the one man who's not going to be involved going forward in this tag dispute with the tag belts was the one who had the pin. I don't know about you guys. No, I agree. Um, yeah. I've enjoyed the match. It was a good, fun match, I've got to say. From a booking point of view, though, with Havoc taking the fall, I did wonder whether this was another missed opportunity for the um, Havoc-Haskins um, faction to form. Because you've got Lycos there injured. Um, you've got Chris Brooks there as well. Surely you can get some instant sympathy on CCK by having Haskins and Havoc form and take out the tag team champions in some way as well. There would have, I thought this was another opportunity where they could have established that. Could you have had British Strong Style out there for some reason again? I don't know. I just I just kept thinking to myself, they could have done more with Havoc and Haskins to get... I think, you know, it, it came together quite nicely in the end. I don't think it was necessarily bad. But I just thought there were a couple of missed opportunities where you could have put a bit more sympathy on, uh, say, the tag champions at this point in time and had them go over those tag belts. But, hey... Fair enough. Moving on then, uh, long-awaited <laughs> <laughs> Atlas Championship match that we were all desperate to see. Uh, Volta against Wolfgang. I mean, we'll get to Wolfgang in a minute. I would say that Walter, Walter, this being the first time uh, him coming out with the well, 
first proper chapter show, isn't it? And coming out with the Atlas belt, he doesn't half carry himself like a star. He's 2005 Samoa Joe level in my eyes. He just mm. comes out. He's yes. got a poise. He's got a star aura. There's just something about Volta that you just believe. On the other side of the ring is Wolfgang. I mean, I've had my Wolfgang moments. I thought in WWE UK, he surprised me. I was never really. Yes. I'm not a, a big ICW watcher, but I hadn't been a fan in the past. And quietly, I quite like Wolfgang. Although for me, he's better in this role as one-off challenger than than anything going forward. I thought he looked quite unconvincing next to to Volta, especially his offense. I just thought it it just it looked a bit crap compared to Volta. I, I don't know about you two. I thought he was working quite hard. Um, I'll give him that. The effort was there. Um, yeah. Just it's, it, uh, Wolfgang. It felt like a step down. Um, yeah. It felt like from, you know, we'd, we'd seen the um, Riddle riddle Volta before, and we'd seen, obviously, the, the three-way they had at Ali Pali, and there was a kind of standard that was being laid there. I mean, personally, I would have loved to have seen sort of Walter Keith Lee, or something along along those lines. I think they're doing that in Evolve. Oh, aren't they're doing they? that, doing yeah. that in Evolve. Well, and they seem to sort of be like Progress's sister promotion of sorts oh. in a way at the moment, don't they? I suppose. But it's it's one of these things where it, it like especially when when Wolfgang came out and there was and there was that reaction mm. to. Um, although I do want to ask, how comes he's allowed to use his music? I don't know. Is it what's his music? Is it? It's like, like a, a cover, isn't it? Like a Johnny Cash cover, is it? Yeah. Oh, is it? I don't know. Of the, the I, I always remember because Undertaker used it. At one oh, point. that ain't no grave. Gonna, yeah, yeah. The one he used at that one WrestleMania. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But he gets to use that. I just don't. I don't know why that. I didn't is. recognize it. Um, but yeah, it, it it just doesn't feel like he was he was built up in any way to be kind of ready for the challenge of mm-hmm. Volta and he hadn't had that convincing match yet to kind of convince us of this WWE credibility to be there. by that rationale let's get in Saxon Huxley whatever his bloody name is who's that <laughs> the bloke who looks like oh, Jesus oh the yeah. UK yeah, tournament yeah, yeah. do you um, think in another circumstance Wolfgang might have worked it might work in progress do you think in another time in another scenario yes I mean he's kind of got you got that biker look hasn't he going for him he's kind of kind of fits the aesthetic of progress yeah I mean, he feels a bit like- DOA yeah, he got some like, please come back chance at the end after he, I did notice there was a bit of a Hogan moment there where he kind of pushed Walter off as, as the as the three count went, um, kind of get, you know the way they do that kick out after the three yeah, to save yeah. a bit of face? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he was instructed to do that and he's obviously, he's on the Manchester card this coming weekend. So <coughs> Who's he facing in Manchester? Oh, yeah, Doug Williams. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. kind of my take on it, yeah. I mean, I love Doug Williams. Yeah, he's great. It's not yeah. what I was expecting to, to hear, yeah. though. It's just a bit uh, <laughs> random. Fair enough. Yeah. But I think we'll see more of him. Um, I'm not a huge fan of them bringing him in, but I'm open-minded, I think. I think, again, he, he's this year he's someone I've somewhat turned the corner on. Um, I think he's he's better than some given credit for, although, it, yeah, as you said, it was quite hilarious when he came out at Ali Pali. Um, there's quite a funny uh, video the, the WrestleBath podcast put on YouTube where it's it's him coming out, but it's the uh, the Tito Ortiz yeah, uh, so. August one morning <laughs> sound over it. I'd definitely <laughs> I'd recommend people to check that out on, on YouTube. Uh, i got to say, though, singlets. Mm. Just something about singlets. Singlets on big men. Like I just I don't know what it is. Straight away it just puts me off. Like James Davis in that singlet. No, 
Wolfgang singlet just turns me off. Kurt Angle in a singlet, hell yes. <laughs> but it makes sense because of kind of the Olympic background and all the rest of it back in the day. But I don't know what it is about like big guys in singlets. To me, it's like instant like mid 90s WWE like enhancement talent jobber match type attire. I don't know if it's just me. Yeah, it it looks quite cheap. Yeah. I feel. Pound shop. Yeah, it does. It does it does feel it does feel a bit Wolfgang's cheap. Wolfgang's a kind of a pound shop volter in a way, I suppose, isn't he? You could argue. Yeah. <laughs> pound shop riddle. Uh, next up then, we got a British strong style, uh, the Mustache Mountain team against the team known as Sexy Star um, might be a good opportunity to talk about the commentary here. Uh, yes, with that, that team name in mind, there was a, a tweet that Twitter that uh, Progress put out uh, saying whether it was okay to leave in a comment that uh, Glenn Joseph made here to do with the the wrestler Sexy Star and her being a cunt. Um, that was not a very bright idea uh, although the the poll was kind of swayed in the way of lots and lots of wrestling fans voting yes a few people with a bit of i don't know a bit of common sense kind of got into uh the progress accounts replies and were politely saying that mm, maybe it's not a good idea to, to leave that in there um one what you make of that decision because they did leave it out and two glenn joseph what did you make of him on this night Oh, I mean, A, I would say it was the wise move is to leave it out. Um, in terms of Glenn Joseph, um, oh, God, that meme and the nightmare it's caused. Um, for me, I kind of, listening to it and th- and thinking about the, the, the meme of him screaming, I kind of thought, this is how those moose chants get started, <laughs> this kind of rubbish. Um, yeah, it was... It, it, just these every once in a while there'd be this kind of like yelp and it'd be like Jesus after what and it was really grating after what I said the odd one or two of those are good and I have to admit I enjoy it when he says in a northeast accent he goes Jesus Christ I'm like yeah I I kind of laugh at that in a really silly childish way but the screaming it's just incessant especially when you've got three really good commentators there anyway yeah. it's like he's latched onto it as like this kind of like i don't know like slogan catchphrase type thing it's like he's gone oh well joey stars used to do the oh my god jr at his slobber knocker um i'll go for my scream and it's oh, it's bloody annoying what i'll say is occasionally he comes out with the occasional witty line of commentary but for the most part he just reminds me of like some bloke you go to a party and you spend the entire night trying to avoid that one bloke at the party you just find incredibly annoying and you know that as soon as he gets into your company <laughs> you can just ruin your night with just that scream in your ear and oh just go away and then you and that select group of mates might have a little you know complain about that guy but then someone else there might be mates of him and be like oh no go easy on him go easy he's funny really he's a good fun bloke but no you just don't get it and i just don't get the appeal of this glenn screams the fact he was going to market it and i saw that he had a line of t-shirts we're going to release at one point and how it's become this like oh glenn yeah ironic yeah hilarious glenn oh i love it when he screams oh, ain't glenn funny ah oh, just go away i find it really yeah i don't like it i find him annoying so the couple of hundred of ultras who were really into it and will tweet him and say how great it is and how hilarious it is there's the rest of us who have to get through these shows and yeah. you know, earlier in the night we didn't really talk about it but you know when um when the aussie open team got their big win and we got the the big pile driver that we all mark out for every time we see it 
ruined with Glenn screams, and it's yeah. just <sighs> constant throughout. The, I think this was probably his worst night. I would say maybe yeah, it's just grating yeah. on me more. But I think uh, he was I, amping it up intentionally on this night. It was definitely mm. like there seemed like there was a directive. Maybe even on his part, he, he's one of the owners of the company, um, and he just thought, oh, I'll just keep going for that. And I, I didn't watch the Ali Pally show back on VOD, so I don't know if he did anything like that there. But yeah, incredib- incredibly annoying. What did you think of the match then? I mean, I, I, as much as we might think it was cheap the way they got there, it was kind of nice seeing Mustache Mountain come out as happy lads with their, with their lovely, uh, probably one of the better WWE themes. thought it was a really good comedy match. I think, again, David Starr and, and Jack Sexsmith made for great opponents. I think that's the perfect use of Jack Sexsmith in progress right now. Um, I don't think there's much they can do with him as a single, but... I think there's a there's a future in there, a team with him and David Starr. What do you think, JP? I think there is as well. Um, and it sort of shows to the versatility of David Starr and also the progression of Jack Sexsmith, um, which um, is coming on now. Now he's relocated and he's he's based himself up in Wolverhampton and he, he's training up there. Um, his matches getting better and better and he's living up to his, his end of the bargain. Not to say he was bad beforehand or anything else like that. Um, but I really enjoyed them as a team, and even and this is, I suppose, it's, it's to say something about. I don't know whether or not it, it, it's not that it reminds me of Massive Product, but there are these kind of similarities where you can put David Starr into a scenario, and he just kind of makes it work. Hmm. Um, so I I enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't anything that was particularly blow away um, within the ring, and obviously I. I, I enjoyed somewhat the what happened afterwards as well but mm. but yes it was um yeah I, I thought i thought it was a, a fine match i think i mean that's the main thing isn't it about this match the the big angle at the end yes. i mean we talk about two men who needed something fresh mark haskins jimmy yeah. havoc i mean this wires cracking meta jimmy havoc i'm glad that i mean it's fun to see. You see him at Fight Club Pro shows. I mean, I bring my mate Colin along, who's not a big indie wrestling fan. Mm. And he, he said to me a couple of times, I don't get Jimmy Havoc. What's he supposed to be? He's kind of this laughy, jokey guy making jokes about Goth Christmas. And it's like, you've, you've got to... To understand the Jimmy Havoc character, you've got to understand his previous heel work in progress. So if he's yeah. going to be going back to something like that, then I'm made up about it. I think the angle was really, really well done. And I, I, again, I just think that it, Vicky Haskins as well um, just has been great in everything she's done in progress. Yeah. I think she really had something to the act as well. Uh, looks the know, Joe, you, as well. You, you're positive on the the future of these three? Uh, <laughs> with, with, with an element of caution... Um, about not doing it too soon. I mean, and again, I, th- I think with with us and certainly with me, um, you know, you get nostalgic for the, the sort of Jimmy Havoc classic um, from from sort of the earlier years of progress. And it's like, well, is it going to go back to that? Is it going to go back to kind of an evolution of that character? Um, I think Vicky Haskins with them gives it a different element. Definitely, yeah, it does. Definitely, um, I think that gives it something else that it kind of needs as well. She, I think, as a kind of heel manager, has that kind of she's got that kind of ECW kind of valet look about her, which I think mm-hmm. is great. She definitely looks the part. I've not really heard her on the mic before, so I can't comment on her promo ability. I want to get into this. I, I, I don't know what it is. Like I, I thought the angle was good, don't get me wrong. 
like I said earlier, I do think they should have used British Strong Style a bit more effectively and done like a double turn of sorts in a way. <sighs> but at the same time, I don't know, it just feels like that these guys are two of the kind of progress regulars and it's almost like uh, we're just going to carry on booking them because the fans like them and we'll find something new for them. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm not I'm not feeling it. I'd much rather have seen a Will Ospreay, Paul Robinson long-term uh, stable, uh, like Swords of Essex Heels, when it looked like we were going to get that earlier in the year. I think that felt a lot more organic, a lot more natural. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'll give it a go, but I'm not, I'm not excited about it. Fair enough. Uh, moving on then, our semi-main event, Charlie Ad- Evans and Tony Storm. Uh, Tony Storm's been quietly establishing the, the progress belt with solid matches. I thought it was a, a just mm. okay match. Um, I do think she needs maybe something to, to get her teeth into. What, you, what did you make of this one and what did you make of Tony Storm so far as the, the first progress women's champion? It's For me, it's lacking that really standout match. Um, the thing that's going to kind of define the title and to a degree define her reign. Um, and I think that's it. And, and it's, you know, as someone who is working as hard as she is, and she's, I mean, my God, she's earned some frequent flyer miles in, in recent months. Um, it still kind of felt like, okay. And, and really at the standard that progress are aiming for and the standards they've set for themselves, it kind of needs to be more than okay. Um, and I like Charlie Evans. I saw Charlie Evans at, at pro wrestling. Even I thought she was, she was really good. And there was, um, However, she is still very, very young. She's, you know, only been kind of. She's she's only going to get better once she's working more and more. But still, she's not at that level that um, she really needs to be at. And it's it's one of those trickier things about who do you put Tony Storm up against in terms of getting that kind of great match without there being some kind of an import. Um, it's it's difficult to think within in terms of. Um, British women's wrestling who naturally fits into the kind of those progress storylines that could come in and and have a match would it would it be a Charlie Morgan it's probably a bit too soon for her as well but yeah I don't know thoughts yeah I've, I watched the match it was fine Charlie Evans hadn't been established enough as a challenger I didn't think it was fine for what it was yeah, I think with progress, you kind of for me, you need Ginny. I think to to get involved in the in the title scene, I think that's probably going to be the goal. And again, I think we should probably be thankful at least they've kind of got these two stories going on. They've got yeah. Tony Storm as defending champion, and also there's this more personal issue with uh, with Ginny and Dahlia Black. So perhaps we'll we'll get there eventually. Well, the, to bring the night to a close, then the main event, um, a solid match. Uh, a you know I say a good match Keith Lee and Travis Banks Keith Lee who's probably the best for me for my money probably the best big man in indie wrestling maybe aside from Walter um, I think he's just he really offers something different to cards I think he offered something really interesting to be the first Travis Banks defense I mean Travis Banks this is one situation where after a year of awful WWE type stuff with Pete Dunne as the champion. I'm really happy to see Banks having these kind of stellar world title defences against guys like Keith Lee. I mean, hopefully we'll we'll get more of matches like this with him going forward. But what did you mo- both make of the match and what are you expecting with Travis Banks going forward? I thought it was a very good match again. Um, yeah. Travis Banks, again, working with another different opponent. He had Phoenix Friday night. He had Keith Lee on the Sunday. 
completely different type of match once again. Um, I really liked him playing the underdog here. I thought that uh, his kind of intensity at points of the match was great. I loved him firing up. Mm-hmm. I loved the punishment he was taking. I think it got him over further as a, as a baby face, the crowd. I liked him kind of avenging his loss to Keith Lee um, before yes. Ali Pally as well. I thought that was good kind of continuity. When Pete Dunn flew him in. Yeah. That's when Pete Dunn flew him in, yeah. <laughs> We've criticised progress booking, but that's on good attention yeah. to detail there, isn't it? That's the kind of thing New Japan are doing a G1. Um, eventually, you've got to, you've got to go against the man who, who beat you previously. I think that's a really clever way of doing it for Travis Banks if we are going to get a, a more sports-like build for his title run. Yeah, I, like, I just I thought Travis Banks fighting from below as the uh, kind of babyface defending champion and being able to kind of sneak the win out was a really good way to go. It made Travis Banks look good against a kind of what you would assume to be a legitimate challenger. But at the same time, I thought they had a really entertaining match. I thought I thought this was the best match of the entire card, to be honest mm. with you. Um, it was certainly the match that I most look forward to. Um, but Keith Lee is just awesome, let's be honest. Um, his, his offense looks great. Um, he's got real kind of presence about him as well. Every, every time I've seen him this year, he's not disappointed me. And I'll be seeing Keith Lee and Ishii this week as well, which I can't wait to see. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I would say just touching on that, I think Banks as well, his offense in this match was great. I mean, even it was kind of like he wasn't doing the big moves for the sake of it. When he hit the Van Terminator, it felt like it was more out of desperation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It fit into the story of the match. You know, a silly move like a Van Terminator fit into the story of the match. And when he manages to finally get Keith Lee off with a Kiwi crusher. Oh, that was the best Kiwi crusher I think I've ever seen yes. hit. There was it so the end, much. Yeah, yeah. There, it felt like there was so much, like he had to put into the move to, to you know, execute the move as well. It felt like a huge moment when he was able to actually hit yeah. it as well. And the fact that his chest was as it was yeah, as well. There, yeah. was, there, there was that kind of... That was that like that really pushing himself through the the pain barrier element to to Banks, which, I mean, for what I hope going forward is that there's a series of these types of matches where he is pushing himself more and more, and eventually you can get to the point where somebody t- maybe takes advantage of the fact that he's that 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 he's kind of beating himself up or he's he's you know he's putting his body through this endurance test defending this title. Um, it's. I think you said it as well on 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 Twitter, Ben, and I have to say I agree with it. Is it's nice seeing him, like you say, separate away from story storylines and the and the kind of soap opera aspect that can and happen beneath him, can't it? That he can, can be on top having these matches, and he can be on top having the matches. Like long term, I think we're going to get. We're probably going to get Haskins and Jimmy Havoc coming after him in some way. It seems like it would kind of go in that direction, doesn't it, really, at the moment? But, but I just hope... And Jimmy Havoc... You know what? As far as soap opera goes, we say that Jimmy Havoc was bloody great at doing soap oh, yeah, opera when he yeah. built that... When he built Progress, really, and, you know, established the title belt. But at the same time, Travis Banks is a wrestler that doesn't feel like he should be stuck in soap opera. He feels yeah. like a wrestler that, yeah, should be part of a storyline, but it feels like a storyline that should be built around, I don't know, the competitive nature of someone and who they yeah. are as a challenger and what their ability is as a wrestler more so than the fact that I don't know Jimmy Avok needs the title because he feels incomplete without it or whatever as, mm. as we've said before he should be Bret Hart defending the title against one two three kid on Monday Night Raw that's kind of what we want out of a Travis Banks run isn't it taking taking on all comers yeah. um, and having the match of the night 
Yeah, I agree. You're looking forward to Keith Lee versus Flash Morgan Webster on Sunday. Oh, has that been announced while yeah. we've been recording? Yeah, oh, just I, seen. I'm, yeah, I was thinking that. I mean, you can't have Keith Lee in the country and not book him uh, for progress. Uh, he gets over, as we say. And, you know, as much as we've waxed lyrical about Travis Banks, Keith Lee was a huge part of this match as well. Yes. A match which which I think kind of, although I was maybe on the fence a little bit about the show, I think I came out positive and a lot of it was to do with this match. I think, okay, there was some unfortunate storytelling. Okay, there was some very unfortunate commentary. But I thought, yeah, this main event delivered. And I yep. think whether we feel great about it or not, they started some new stuff and I'm feeling somewhat pro- um, positive on progress. I was uh, going to say, it feels unpredictable, yeah. which is mm. something that hasn't quite been there for a little while. There's an element of unpredictability. So One thing I'll say is, and you know, I've not been to the ballroom since uh, Super Strong Style, and I do miss going. I think I miss the kind of day out as much as anything mm, and i miss same. the general atmosphere like yeah i've complained a bit about the show today but i don't think i'm ever going to be satisfied i think i'm one of those people unfortunately boo-hoo <laughs> me um <laughs> but yeah i it does tempt me to this is a decent start a decent reset yeah the super strong style stuff i complain about yeah joseph collars i complain about triple h i'm probably going to complain about as well our mate paul but at the same time, it does encourage me a little bit more to maybe go back and start going to shows every now and then again. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, I think I'm the yeah. same as you. I mean, I'm going to Manchester Sunday. I'd love to go back down to Camden. I don't know about you, JP. Do you miss the, uh, I, I the Camden Ales you can get on tap there yeah, for £4.90? I, d- I think, yeah, yeah, it was those reasonable London prices. Um, <laughs> I Yeah, I look forward to going back at some point. I'd still say at the same time there's an element of work that that needs to be done and um it you know there are some things they're going to need to iron out i want to see what's going on with this joseph connor's james drake wolfgang i'm i'm kind of fearing other certain appearances at various points of seeing where this goes but i'll restrain my cynicism until it actually happens <laughs> awesome well we'll end on that though then i think that Brings us to a nice conclusion there. Uh, guys, where can the good people find you on the internet this week? Uh, Lemsip 4Ps. JP, JP, JIP, Triple E. You can also find me on Twitter at Benson Richard E. Uh, just a quick note the other podcast that I do, British Audio Wrestling, there's been news, uh, live audio wrestling. Our host, uh, John Pollock, waiting, Jason Ague, the, the, the big guys over there, unfortunately, were, were let go from the fight network. That uh, TNA causing trouble again, if you believe the rumors. Um, so that show's currently on hiatus. <laughs> we're hoping to come back soon. We're kind of waiting to see where the other guys land and we'll see uh, exactly where we can find a home but it's not the last you'll have heard from uh, myself Martin and Ollie as a team Uh, that is absolutely for sure so keep an eye on my Twitter for hopefully uh, developments with that as well so that brings us to the end of the show Uh, we'll catch everyone again next month
Yeah. Exciting. Mm. Finish yeah. your skips. <laughs> They're in the bag, mate. They'll be finished later on. Yeah, nice. Don't worry that about you, that. that your dinner? That's not my dinner. That would be so fucking bleak. <laughs> skips. Having skips for dinner. <laughs> I like skips. So do I. I haven't had them in years. I couldn't have them for dinner. There's... There... <laughs> Sorry, this got weird. This should be Patreon content. (laughs) It really should be Patreon content. JP went to Marks and Spencers and bought skips. All the things. Big bag. I was was so hungry. I was just so hungry. I don't know what it was. I saw them and went, "Yeah, they'll do." (laughs) 